0: I have a guest today that I knew you needed to meet when I, I heard him uh, speak at the Wounded Blue Conference in Las Vegas. I mean, his ideas are innovative, but he presents them uh, in such a way that really sucks you in, tugs at your heartstrings a little bit, and gives you so much to think about um, long after you've heard him speak. He's uh, He's been a cop. For thirty-five years, he's a police chief. He's a trainer, and he's an innovator. Chief Neil Gang, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Betsy. Is uh, super blessed and excited to be with you today.
0: So you were Arizona law enforcement, and uh, so uh, so talk about talk about your whole career a little bit. Thirty-five years is uh, a long time. You've seen a lot of changes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I started uh, up in New Jersey back in nineteen eighty-eight. So. Uh, I, I certainly have seen the uh, the changes and the swings in uh, political environments over my 35 years. And uh, I can definitely say that uh, now is the season probably most difficult that uh, I've ever seen in this profession. And uh, I think now really is where uh, good leadership is needed. And uh, I think it's it's important to understand that depending on where you're actually serving, um, your environment's going to be different. You know, so I went from New Jersey and then spent a decade down in South Florida. Um, out in Broward County uh, with the Pembroke Pines Police Department, and then left there and went to Surprise, Arizona, um, kind of where uh, you're located at now. I uh, spent 13 years there and then made the mistake, uh, but eventually ventured west and uh, came into the Republic of California. And uh, I've been the police chief here now for 10 years.
0: I got to tell you, um, I've had several California police chiefs um, as my guests, and they are. It's a tough environment for a chief, but if you're a good leader, boy, people love you, and uh, and and I know that your community uh, really appreciates you. But it is a tough environment, and that's you said something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand about American law enforcement. It's a very regional situation, and that's by design, thanks to our constitution. Um, You know, you you as just as a voter, as an American are supposed to have some control of your local law enforcement. So in theory, you elect people that are going to bring in the type of a law enforcement that you as the voter, you as a citizen want to see. And I know as a um, Chicago suburban police officer, when I moved out west here to Arizona, um, it's a very different atmosphere um, than in the Midwest. And I know California is very different, certainly than the East, than the South. That was Florida, and and different than Arizona, right?
1: Yeah, I think um I think you, you hit on a great point. And it's almost talks a little bit about the leadership now. It's it's almost like we're CEOs of a business. So you are a business. Policing is a business now, let's be honest. And the the voters, like you said, have the opportunity to create the business that they want for their communities. They have the right to do that. They have the right to decide
0: what type of policing and what type of police officers they have rolling in their community. Now, chief, every single cop in this country, at one point in their career, says, "Ha! If I was chief, man, I'd fix this place. I, I'd do this and I'd do that." What the heck made you actually take that leap and become a police chief? Well.
1: I think you and I spoke about this when we were in person, but th- this was never my goal. I, I never wanted to become a police chief. In fact, I, I never had any aspirations of moving up rank at all. And um, I'll, I'll be politically correct with my my verbiage here, but uh, I think when you get tired of working for the a-holes, that you decide to promote over them. And that's your motivation, unfortunately, right? You have the two choices, right? You could be part of the solution and part of the problem. And if I want to continue to complain about the poor leadership, then I had to do something about it. And someone challenged me one day, if you don't like the leadership that you're receiving, then do something about it and make a change. And that really kind of motivated me. And I kept promoting and kept promoting basically because the leadership that I had wasn't satisfying my needs, nor do I think was satisfying the profession.
0: Now you are, in addition to being a chief, you are uh, also a trainer and you're, you're an excellent public speaker. I mean, you're just, you know, and that's a tough, most people don't like to speak uh, before an audience. And so it is, it's a, it's a gift and you have that gift. Um, talk about your training in your public speaking.
1: I, I really, in fact, if you're going to say anything to me today that's going to hit me home, it's that. And and because it doesn't come natural. Um, I was deathly afraid of public speaking, um, but it really came and I, I'm a man of faith. So I'll, I'll say it's a calling. Uh, it's a calling that I had um, due to a death of a buddy who died by suicide, Asher Rosinski, back in the 90s um, in South Florida. And nothing was happening and no one was talking about these things. And then. You know, 20 years later, we're still seeing suicides and still no one's doing anything about it. And uh, and I prayed a lot about it. And uh, I'll share a Bible verse with you that kind of hits home. And it's Isaiah 6 8. It says, and I'll read it. Uh, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Send and me. that's exactly what this was. I needed to do something because the same way I was unhappy about the leadership, that I had to take a leadership role. The same thing. And that's what brought me in front of people to be able to speak. And I could tell you right now, before I step on stage, I'm backstage sweating and I'm backstage saying a prayer that somehow the Lord speaks through me. And I touch one person uh, throughout my 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 day speaking in front of them, because honestly, it's a blessing to be able to have their time. And I want to make sure that they are spending time. uh, That's time well spent for them to hear me.
0: You know, it's funny you say that because, uh, you know, I do a lot of uh, public speaking, a lot of television and all that. And I am nervous and I ask God every time, please be with me on this, because I want to represent my profession and and uh, and and of course, my association. And you know what? People who say, oh, I'm never nervous. They're not very good. You know, it's the good people that are, because those, and this is something I learned from my husband, those people that we speak to, they're our honor group, especially when people like you and I are speaking to a law enforcement audience. That's our honor group. What they think about us matters. And and what you're doing with Asher's story is you, you have created, I mean, he already had a legacy um, as a good guy, and but you have elevated his legacy to talk about police officer mental health and what we can do about it. Can you explain to people what you do in talking about your friend Asher?
1: Yeah, I think he had a couple of points that I just want to touch on first. And and one is is that we care and it's actually a privilege to be able to speak to others. It's a privilege. There's too many people out there out there speaking now that they think it's their right and they're trying to make money and they're LinkedIn all-stars or whatever it may be. It's a privilege to speak to people. And here's the thing, when you're passionate about it, you care and you want to make sure you're impactful. And that's why I really enjoy the connection that you and I have, because I think we feel the same way. Like every time I step, up, step, step on that spade, uh, stage, it, I'm being blessed with the opportunity. And it's a privilege to spend time, whether it's an hour or two hours of people's time to hear what I have to say. And I'm passionate about that. I want to make sure that they are getting time well spent. So when it comes to Asher, it it was really, um, I'm not any... I'm not a person of the education, really. I'm not a great um, writer, but I prayed about this a lot. And I said, okay, it was 2019. We're seeing all these deaths. And and now we see a symposium, uh, Perf is putting on a symposium at NYPD. And I said, we have to do something more. We can't just sit around and talk about these things anymore. And I prayed about this. And and the Lord put something on my heart. And like one or two in the morning, I take that pad that we all have next to our beds, you know, in case you get that call. And I took a, a pad and a pen. And I went and sat at the kitchen table and I, I designed something called the Astro model. And it really is just a seven point approach to creating a, a culture of wellness in your organization. And it's not when you listen to it, you're like, OK, great. Well, I could have thought of that or I could have th- right? But no one was thinking about these things. And it's very easy to think about. Right. It's creating the awareness Right. It's having a solution focused approach. It's it's all those things. And really what you're trying to do is be multifaceted, and multi-targeted, and hopefully something will resonate with somebody. Right. And here's the thing: if our efforts create one change of outcome and we save one life, then it's all worthwhile. And that's kind
0: of the way I felt about it. You know, police officer mental health is something that um, you know, we've we've been talking about for decades, but in the last three and a half years with this vilification and demonization of American police officers, our mental health has come more into focus as we see not just police officer suicides, but but suicide. You and I were talking about this before we went on camera. Uh, the CDC just came out with the statistics for 2022 Fifty thousand suicides in the United States of America in 2022—that's a record number of just our people in America committing suicide. And police officers are no different, are they?
1: No, we're we're just a subset of the American public, right? So if the trend is is trending up, then it makes sense that officers are going to trend up as well. It it's not shocking to hear those things at all. Here's the difference that that I always kind of put into perspective: fifty thousand—that's a number. But every single person there, it's a person, right? It's someone's mom, it's their dad, it's their family member, it's their, their light, it was their why, it was the reason why they were living, you know? So we can't just like, uh, you know, just say these are just casualties. We have to say that each one of those people, particularly in law enforcement, when it's one of our brothers and sisters- they had a family, they had meaning to somebody. And we can't just write these off as numbers that we see on a graph. We have to do something, we have to be proactive and we ought to be able to change outcomes. And, and that's why I'm so blessed to have this opportunity with you, Betsy, to talk about this.
0: You know, you and I are both, we were both 80s cops, right? That's when we were young guns. and uh, And we were told then, you know, you don't really talk about stuff. You know, you don't take it home. You don't share a lot with your family. You suck it up. You talk to other cops, you know, usually at a bar, and uh, and that's how you deal with your mental health. And and you know, like you said at the beginning of the show, we've got to be able to change as uh, law as law enforcement grows, as our clientele changes, as our officers change, as generations change. We have to change with it, and that don't take it home stuff uh, is no longer the case, right? Yeah,
1: the, the whole, you know, suck it up buttercup. I mean, I hate that saying, but people still use it. And I, I know this is not going to shock you, but I was traveling a year ago, and I, I'm in, I'm speaking on stage. And afterwards, I, I kind of watched uh, a gentleman in the back, and he was a sheriff in, in an agency. I won't say what agency. Um, And he had his arms crossed the whole time and kind of just had this scour to him. So afterwards, I I kind of did my thing, and I w- made my way over to him. I go, this stuff doesn't resonate with you. He goes, you know what, Chief? No, no disrespect. And then what happens? Right. When someone says, no disrespect, what's happening next? You get disrespected. Right. And and so he followed suit and uh, he goes, but you know what? If if my people aren't healthy enough to get in the car and do their job, they're no good to me. This is last year. So we still have leaders out there that don't get it. We still have leaders that are going off the militaristic autocratic leadership that their people don't care and they don't matter. And, And that's what this needs to change. That's why we need to have a paradigm switch when it comes to leadership in this profession.
0: So explain the Asher model, you know, if you can in this short amount of time. Yeah,
1: it's a a seven-point approach. And really, honestly, the seven points match the Bay Area badge that we have. It was just a graphic, right? Police officers are very uh, kinesthetic, right? So you have to have something to match. I I was thinking about a pop-up book, but, you know, obviously that wouldn't work. You know, that would help us because we're we're pretty simple people. Um, But it really was just based on that badge. And it was you know, creating the environment, right? Raising awareness, right? Taking those conversations out of the shadows and into the open. Um, And then, you know, everybody says the whole thing that it's okay not to be okay. It's kind of a buzzword now, but we can't just leave it there. We have to do something to make it okay and be proactive. So number two is a proactive solution. What is that going to look like? And for every agency is different, but as long as we're being proactive because this profession is so reactive in everything we do. Look, at if we were a business, we'd be out of business. Right, we're behind the times in leadership. Probably ten years than some of these businesses. In some of our uh, um, uh, technology, we're behind. Almost everything we do is reactive when it comes to policing. So number two, proactive solutions. Three is having a peer support team. You know, creating a peer support team that people can trust and believe in. That they're not going to get reports back that go to a command staff, and that people can just reach out and and tell people that I need help. Right. Four is resiliency. And I think we'll talk a little bit about resiliency, but resiliency, proactive resiliency. Oh, what does that mean? I, I did a little study before we came on and it said the American Psychological Association defined resiliency as this, adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or significant source of stress. Well, we do that every day. That's what we do every single day. You right? just
0: described police
1: work. Right, exactly. So, So what does that mean? Proactive. We continue to wait and do the debriefings right? The D briefings. We're not doing briefings when it comes to resiliency. That's where the paradigm switch needs to talk about. We have to have this holistic approach of creating a culture of wellness where we talk about self-care practices, mindfulness, yoga, and that's something that I, I kind of call the six fitnesses. And it's a lot of, a lot of things to say and sometimes it comes out of your mouth, but it still works. Um, physical fitness, right? Nutritional fitness, financial fitness, spiritual fitness, family fitness, and of course, mental fitness. When we could put all those together and we could be proactive in those spaces, I think we're gonna see a tremendous amount of change and we're gonna see some change outcomes in our profession. And I think it's really important. So number five is uh, healthy habits, which kind of makes sense, right? Let's eat healthy. We come into this profession with the most mentally fit and physically fit we ever see, right? And over the course of time, somehow, you know, the gremlin gets into our closet and takes in our inseams or our wives, or you know, for me, my starter spouse. Um they go in and they throw your class A in the dryer because that's there's no way I'm getting fat, right? It's just that I'm there the uh clothes are getting smaller. But anyway, so we gotta eat right, we gotta be healthy, we we know that in our brain, but we don't practice that. So it's really important to make that at the forefront. Six in my model was spiritual wellness, and I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time with that, you know, and and depending on where you're at. And some people, you know, have um they're, they're spiritual. Some people are people of faith and, and wherever you're at, but just having that idea that something greater than ourselves is out there is really, really important to understand. And it's actually um, holistically it helps you and uh, it actually uh, breeds health into your, into your body. And then number seven is family, which gets lost so many times in this profession. You know, um, we have to have resources from, you know, rookie to retirement. I'll say, you know, we talk about financial fitness, when people come into this profession, when we're 20-something, we have no idea how to manage money, right? And then, you know, before you retire, five years out, what's our purpose? You know, where, what's your sense of purpose going to be when you retire? Because we're losing far too many people to suicide when they retire. So who's doing that work? We have to find a sense of purpose for our employees that are about to leave this profession. Because here's the, the biggest lie that we were told when we came through the academies, right? In, in the 80s, you are a police officer. Now, here's the thing. Let's be honest. That's not who you are. That's what you do for a living. And get me, wrong. we're very proud of that and we're very dedicated to that. But that's not who you are. And that's why people are having such a hard time disconnecting when they retire because they're no longer a police officer. And I think they lose their sense of purpose. Let's build their sense of purpose. Let's talk about their why. So when they leave this profession, they realize that they still have life and they still have purpose behind that. So those are the seven uh, principles of the model. It's fairly simple. Um, and, but it's, it's, it works and it's holistic and it gives people an opportunity to create a culture of wellness as opposed to these poor leaders that are creating wellness programs that are just checks boxes that no one trusts and no one believes in.
0: That is so incredibly well said. And we do see a lot of that around this country, you know, and especially at a time where nine out of every 10 police departments are short-staffed, you know, we're, where we can't bring enough people to this profession you know when you and I got hired you know we had to compete with the hundreds if not thousands of people to get you know a few positions and and now for 25 open positions you know you might have three people show up to to take the test as a police leader what do you think we need to do to make this profession attractive again
1: I'm not sure we have to make it attractive again. Here, here's one thing, and, I, and I'll quote Gordon Graham. He said this. He said, our recruitment pool in this profession is turned into a puddle, and, and it's so accurate. But here's the paradigm switch, and I want, I want to get your thoughts on this for a minute. I don't think we have a recruitment problem. I think we have a retention problem. I think when we spend $75,000, and this is a true statement, $75,000 for an agency out in California to bring you on to be a member of our organization, but we don't take care of the people in the organization, that's a problem. That's a problem. So we have to think about that. So the best answer for recruitment is a solid retention program. And I'll stay on that. And I think that's a leadership issue. I,
0: I think I agree with you on that, because we've got people that are bailing out before they can even collect retirement, that they're they're just walking away. And that is an absolute travesty, because it's not easy to become a police officer. And, and once you become a police officer, you're right, we got to work we got to work so much harder to keep you. Chief, we've got about four minutes left. Talk about what true resiliency um, really is, because that word gets thrown around a lot. And I think it gets abused and misused. What do you believe true resiliency is?
1: Yeah, I think if you go right back to that, that definition, it's about proactive resiliency, right? And it's building that... Um, holistic approach of creating that culture of wellness, right? Self-care practices. We want people to be resilient on their own and build resiliency, not wait for a program or a training or an event to cause that to happen, right? So we talked about the fitnesses, you know, be physically fit, know how to eat right, right? Financial fitness, all those things. And then something that I really think is important is that that gratitude meditation or practice. You know, we have a lot to be grateful for, We have, and, but we lose sight of that. But I think there has to be a leader in your organization that brings you back there. When all these things are going chaotic around you, let's talk about the things that we're grateful for. We're grateful for this job. We're grateful for the blessing to be a police officer and, and to be able to serve our community. The, the, those are blessings. Those are those are things that we had to be really grateful for, but it takes people to kind of bring us back into that purpose at times. And then again, finding a sense of purpose in this profession. When you said we yeah, attract people into this and bring this back to this profession, I think it's still there. I think it's still there. What it is, it's breaking away from the traditions, expecting people to come into our profession. Um, It's us. We have to change that and go out and look for people and understanding the Gen Zs. And and maybe at another time, we can come back and talk about that. But we have to understand the Gen Z workforce is coming into us. They're not looking for that thin blue line. You know, they're not looking for the SWAT deployments. They want a sense of purpose. They want to know that their work matters. They want to know that they're going to be able to have um, work-life balance right and they also See, want and that's to to what life. i
0: appreciate about gen z they want to have a life yeah they want we to have a life. think about that when Who's we were one young
1: that right and, and, and they want to have a sense of purpose and they want to know that the voice is heard and they want to work, know that the work matters it, it, it's fairly simple but we're so afraid to get away from our traditions to break away that we don't need to change well here's a message for everybody out there we need to change
0: chief where can people find you
1: yeah, I think the best way to reach out to me is uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not a big social media person, so I don't have a Facebook or Instagram at this time, but I'm on LinkedIn. And uh, at the end, if, if you want, you could share my email address and my personal cell phone number. Um, I, I'm always going to say that I'm here for you. And if, if you need anything at all, I'm available for you. 24-7-365.
0: Keith Neil Gang, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Ma'am, put the gun down! Do put the gun down
1: Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal
0: tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife
1: on the ground. Drop the knife. Go.
0: Go. In many cases, Officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order.
1: Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after
0: the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.